On this week's episode number seven of the MIDI Innovation Vault series, the deep dive into medical and scientific accelerators, incubator labs, and development communities, MIDI Medical Product Development CEO Gregory Montalbano speaks to Stephen Shapiro from eHealth Ventures. Steve is the co-founder of eHealth Ventures, which is a consortium of world-class healthcare organizations and investors looking for disruptive digital health companies. After four years, eHealth Ventures, located in Tel Aviv, Israel, has become one of the world's top leading global incubators, currently supporting 14 innovative digital health startups and emerging companies. Shapiro is a pioneer in the computer service, wireless, social media, and digital health sectors with a long history and experience ranging from startup to successful exit. Performing many roles from manager to C-level executive responsibilities, Steve has created strong teams and excellent user experiences resulting in most cases, successful exits, bringing substantial value to all stakeholders. Steve's career includes 15 years at ADP and another 15 years with cellular communications, serving as the president of the Northeast Ohio market, trading as Cellular One, currently Verizon today. Later, Shapiro was president of cellular communications of Puerto Rico and sold the company for $815 million to AT&T. He also serves on the board of directors as well as advisory boards for numerous for-profit and non-profit organizations. Additionally, Steve participated in the creation of American University Center for Innovation in Washington, D.C., and serves as a mentor and speaker to students as well as the center's incubator entrepreneurs. On today's podcast, Greg and Steve will be discussing in detail what eHealth Ventures is all about. A deep dive will be taken into the inner workings of the eHealth Ventures ecosystem. Together, they will discuss the methods of mentoring and support offered to the eHealth Venture entrepreneurial groups spanning various digital health applications. Steve will also discuss the eHealth Venture partner networks that support their entrepreneurs and what eHealth Ventures looks for in a startup and how they can apply. Lastly, today's podcast discussion will also cover new innovative digital health program initiatives and exciting breakthroughs that are expected on the horizon from the eHealth Ventures entrepreneurial companies. So please. Stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the MIDI Innovation Vault podcast. My name is Gregory Montalbano, and I'm your host as well as the principal of MIDI Medical Product Development. On today's show, we have eHealth Ventures co-founder, Steve Shapiro. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Hi, Gregory. Thank you for having me today. I look forward to some interesting dialogue. That's great. Myself as well. So, Jumping into it, Steve, could you please share with the listeners your passion of taking early entrepreneurial groups, digital health research and technology innovation, and applying eHealth Ventures support methods to de-risk and validate and grow an entrepreneurial idea? Great question to get started. I'll tell you a little about my journey. Starting in college, I found myself working in cutting-edge technology. I'm not a technology genius. I did become a CPA, a more a jack of all trades, a master of none. But I realized my strengths and weaknesses, and I find people to work with to complement my skills. We create an environment for people to grow, learn, have fun, and hopefully make money. After a long career in the cell phone industry, I wanted to leverage my experience in other areas. My greatest satisfaction was working with motivated people to help them reach their full potential. I could have retired in 2000 after we sold our company to AT&T in the Caribbean, uh, but I wasn't ready. 
So I worked on many projects, both for profit and nonprofit. Eventually, I found my way into healthcare. After Obamacare launched, um, all of the uh, physicians, hospitals, uh, they all needed electronic health records. So we formed a company uh, to help primary care physicians to digitize to meet all of the requirements of Obamacare. Then I found myself into a venture fund with a focus on digital health. Ironically, now that I'm working in digital health, it's really not much different than the cellular phone industry. Um, way back when, for those that remember, we had landline phones. The phone was a place. So your phone number was a physical place. Obviously, that's not the case with cellular phones today. Where, wherever you are, whenever you need them, they're there. And that's the transformation we're going through in healthcare. It's not just brick and mortars anymore. Uh, healthcare can be provided wherever you are, whenever you need it. So, so, so that's a little background and you know, digital health. Uh, so how does eHealth Ventures support the risk, validate and grow an entrepreneur idea? First, we need to identify the entrepreneurs um, and then we'll go, we'll go in a little more detail on this in a few minutes. Um, to to de-risk, I have two key points. One, are they really solving a problem or is it just cool technology? And secondly, does the entrepreneur have the drive commitment to make this a reality? Is he or she flexible, trainable, and a team player? We validate the idea with potential users and healthcare professionals. So when we look at a entrepreneur or a company, we reach out to our healthcare providers who will eventually be the users. Is there really a need for this technology? Is this something that they would buy? And that's the first critical test. And once they're in the incubator, we staff the incubator with the best possible talent to support and help these entrepreneurs and also connect them with our global international ecosystem. That's excellent. And, you know, I really am interested in digital healthcare and your background, really applying that for the democratization of healthcare, you know, based upon all of the cell networks, all the smartphones and all the other digital applications, you know, it really uh, allows us to move the ball forward. So in this series, we're talking with medtech and biotech accelerators, incubator labs and development communities. And as I've experienced, each organization has their own unique approach and value proposition when selecting, mentoring and supporting entrepreneurial companies. So. Steve, what the listeners and I are very interested in is how did eHealth Ventures come about and how did you create that structure uh, and pull all of that together with the ecosystem ultimately to uh, support the various entrepreneurs that are in your group? Great question. Obviously, I'm excited to talk about this. So when I worked in electronic health records, um, we sold it in the US, but all our product development was done in Israel. And I would manage this process and travel to Israel often. And when in Israel, I had the opportunity to learn about their healthcare system, what was happening in Israel, a startup nation. Um, one of my uh, coworkers or people I worked with in Israel named Talor Sachs, 
Uh, he came to me a few years after we started the electronic health records and suggested the idea of starting a venture fund based in Israel. Um, and one of the key reasons is, is the support that we get from the government in their incubator program. And I'll talk about this in a little while, the details of it, but uh, it took us two or three years to pull everything together. You know, we had to build the uh, ecosystem. We had to get raise money with um, limited partners. We had to get approval from the uh, government of Israel. Um, so we actually started this journey seven years ago. Few people understood what digital health was at that time. We clearly had the right idea at the right time. Um, we wanted to build an international ecosystem to increase the chances of our portfolio, portfolio companies to be successful, also to provide strong returns to our limited partners and attract the best of the best entrepreneurs. So it all starts with people. We need people in the incubator. We need to find the right entrepreneurs. We need to find the right partners. Um, so that's a high priority and, and to create value for all of the stakeholders. So we recognize that upfront, which applies across any startup or you know, any sector. Um, so Talor and I were fortunate and we were able to first attract Maccabi Healthcare. Uh, in Israel, there are four HMOs that 98% of the citizens belong to. Maccabi is the second largest and probably the most advanced in Israel, one of the most advanced in the world. For example, they've had electronic health records for over 25 years. In their records, they are the pharma, the lab, the uh, primary care physician, they, their eye care, dental care, senior homes. They have a whole segment of, of your health, every element of your health digitized for over 2 million people for 25 years. Wow. That is very strong, very attractive for companies that deal in big data, uh, that deal in IP, to have access to some of this technology. Uh, so getting Maccabi was a big win. It really uh, set us apart from others uh, with our database. Um, another interesting fact, before the pandemic, over 20% of Maccabi's encounters were telemarketing or telehealth, I'm sorry, or tele done by phone calls or virtual calls. Mm -hmm. uh, that was before it, which was probably uh, below 2% in this country at that time. Um, secondly, we're able to attract the Cleveland Clinic. I work very close with them. Uh, we got Amgen. Um, which is based in Thousand Oaks, California. But we work very closely with the Am Amgem Europe, which is based in the Netherlands. Uh, we work with SCI Fund, which is based in Shanghai, China. And recently, uh, we developed a very strong working relationship with the Mayo Clinic based in Rochester, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So this is very important for our portfolio companies, especially and, and for us to help identify what the true needs are, do we get the right company in? And when the company is in, that they can work to develop the right technology and understand the market needs. And then, of course, to commercialize. Uh, we were able to raise funds. 
um, through family offices and some strategic investors uh, in, uh, in Europe, Israel, the US and in China. Uh, and then after several years, we received an eight year license from the government in Israel to run an incubator, which has a lot of advantages as we'll get into. Um, so we've also been told that we're one of the most successful incubators in Israel currently based on our activity, number of new companies and additional funding and valuations for our portfolio. Um, and we are very close to uh, finishing our second fund this year. And if we have time, I'd love to talk a little about it later. Absolutely. So there's a lot of advantages I see from a digital health perspective based upon uh, Israel's background in uh, the various healthcare applications. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite advantageous for your group. Could you describe how it may be different from a U.S. incubator versus Israel and those applications? Maybe kind of give us a flavor on, on I, I see the advantages from digital health, but uh, other incubators in the U.S. Sure. Well, first, you know, why Israel is always a good question. Um, one, Israel has become a world leader in innovation. They have world-class accelerators. Uh, outstanding universities, some ranked in the top 20 in the world. And there are over 200 multinational companies, many with R&D centers in Israel. So there's a strong, strong ecosystem there. Uh, another good example with Israel is how they manage COVID. Uh, they really took the lead very early on in how to reach the population, how to manage the population, to control the vaccines. In fact, many of you, and I'm sure you follow the news closely um, with approval by the FDA, the US relies very heavily on the data from Israel uh, in getting FDA, FDA approval. So that says a lot um, about the ecosystem and, and the, the level of sophistication in Israel. They're also per capita, the highest educated country in the world with the most PhDs, MBAs uh, per capita. Um, it's also rated in the top three in the world in startups for funding and exits and unicorns. And I could go in a lot more detail, but um, in, in essence, Israel is great for us. It's like a sandbox where when you wanna get started, you need all the resources that are cost-effective, that are easy to reach uh, in, in one place. So it's a great place to develop technology and test it uh, we're very fortunate uh, with our partner, Maccabi Healthcare, that most of our companies will do validation and trials um, th through uh, Maccabi Healthcare. So when we're ready to go to Europe, Asia, the US, we've really validated it and ready to take the next step, probably faster, cheaper, and as good as anywhere in the world. So, uh, you know, that's why, uh, you know, we're really investing in Israel. That's exciting. Definitely exciting and, uh, you know, very good information to absorb. So switching gears, how does uh, eHealth Ventures create that incubator environment? You know, you have these early entrepreneurs, a lot with scientific backgrounds, maybe not as much business backgrounds. And mm -hmm. how do you help them learn and apply your advanced methods so that they have a process of growth and development as related to digital health applications? Sure. So first, 
we would only bring a company into our portfolio or incubator unless we can add substantial value. Uh, and we also do it uh, pre-commercialization um, that we do it. And you know, our, our focus is on the development of the technology, the planning, um, to, to, to validation of it, uh, how understand the revenue model. Uh, the revenue model varies by different parts of the world. You know, the reimbursements in the U.S. is totally different than in Europe or, or Israel. Um, so it's important to understand what is the right market for this technology and how to launch it there. And, and what is the, uh, the, how does the revenue model look and who are you selling to? Um, our, our incubator is centrally located in, in Israel. So we're able to attract people from Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and surrounding areas. We're right off a major highway, uh, easy parking, easy access. Each company in our incubator has their private space, and we have a large open area where we have where they connect with each other and learn from each other. Uh, we have a lot of formal programs that we bring experts from the U.S. and other parts of the world through Zoom or virtual calls. Uh, things such as FDA process, um, understanding how to sell in different markets, patents, how to build financial statements. On our staff, we have a chief medical officer uh, that comes from Maccabi Healthcare. We have a CPA, we have a lawyer. Um, we have uh, a, a gentleman, uh, Yosi Latan, that comes from uh, a long career at Motorola. Uh, we're working with devices, working with FDA, working with patents. So he's a, he's a great uh, asset to have for the companies that have medical devices. Um, we help with their business plan. Um, we also uh, will connect them with our partners where necessary through the Mayo Clinic or, or Maccabi, uh, through Amgen. And uh, that, that's a great value. And lastly, I'll say we have a board seat on each of our portfolio companies. That's a requirement. So we thoroughly understand the companies. We roll up our sleeves and, and, and we partner with them. Hmm. That's great. And uh, that kind of segues to my, my next question, offering significant importance and value relative to a scalable ecosystem. And as you were just mentioning, all of the strategic partners and the fostered collaboration. Uh, any universities or specific industry groups um, that may be part of that ecosystem as well? Uh, hospitals, well, you mentioned hospital networks and digital networks, life science players, any any of those groups? Oh, oh absolutely. So we, we work a lot with uh, Technion in, in Haifa, Israel, the Weissman Institute, Hadassah Hospital, Hebrew University, um, we are now working um, with a large Midwestern uh, university that really has, we'll get into this later, has developed some technology and they came to us and we're actually uh, in, in deep discussions about building a company, around, an Israeli company around this technology so they can go into our incubator. And so we would partner with them. You know, I mentioned, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, with the Mayo and others, um, so, so, you know, we, we definitely reach out, um, you know, nobody's an island today and, and the, you know, the, we have to be effective and not just, you know, sign a, a, a partnership and, and that's the end of it. You know, we, we want to 
only go with a partner that will truly, truly roll their sleeves up with us and, and add um, you know, great value to our companies. We also, through our Chinese partner, uh, we formed uh, in partnership with the government of China in, in a uh, particular uh, a trade zone an accelerator incubator uh, in China. And this happened just before COVID break, broke out. So we really haven't um, sent any companies there, but you can imagine the size of the potential market in China and it'd be a great gateway uh, into China. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in Tel Aviv, but you truly are global. You have a global <laughs> yeah. reach, so that's great. So just want to focus on talking about bridging the gap between early digital health, R&D science, technology, and really the demands of the industry. So what are some of the organization's best methods for optimizing and maintaining alignment between both sides, the sides being scientific R&D discovery, and then the industry demands specifically during the early and late stage of digital health application development. So how do you help your entrepreneurs and balance that out and uh, ultimately bridge that translational gap? Well, it's a very timely and important question. Uh, there's a lot of R&D done in healthcare. And I live in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, right near NIH. And believe it or not, NIH has a library of thousands of uh, IP technology that's sitting on a shelf somewhere. It's been developed, but NIH is not into, into commercializing or a business. So they may have a specific reason they had somebody develop something and it meet that need and it's just sitting there. So it's really open um, for someone that's interested to look at technology and license it to develop a path to commercialization. And, you know, I think this kind of ties into your question because, you know, a lot of the scientists, they look at it through different lenses than a business person would be. So there's a lot of applications out there that we really aren't realizing. And, and there's a lot of technology being developed that does not have a commercial application that no one would be could afford or willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. So you really have to cipher through that. And it really starts with a due diligence process um, that we do. Um, and we incorporate our partners, could be the Mayo Clinic, could be Maccabi, it could be Amgen, um, that would really look at what is it, what problem are you solving? Is there a true need for it? Uh, and we're only looking for technology that has the potential to be disruptive, tech, disruptive technology that has a strong market need uh, that is unique from anything that's out there today. And so we will work with many accelerators, educational institutes, and I na named some earlier, um, to, to, to analyze what they have and what their interests are. Uh, another thing that we do is we, with our partners, may be looking to solve a problem that they haven't found the solution. So they will come to us and we will do a call for innovation. We generally do this twice a year. And, and a lot of times one of our partners will sponsor it where they have a particular need and we will reach out to the Israeli community and identify uh, multiple um, people interested in it, or maybe there's some technology been developed around it 
and figure out a, with them a path to commercialization. So it's really understanding uh, the market, understanding the technology, who are the resources that you can pull in? No one knows everything and you have to know what you know and know what you don't know and, and reach out to that. And, uh, but, but it all starts with us, is it a real problem, a real need that they're solving? And, and that's the first thing we look at. That's, that's very important. And yeah, we help clients with that as well, understanding the end user, the market application, the technology and how that fits in. And that really de-risks the situation and allows you to pivot as you move uh, any type of project forward so that you know, you're not hyper-focused on one particular application. You're looking at the horizon rather than any one particular destination. So that's, that's great. So you mentioned the call for innovations uh, sure. and finding companies there. Are there other ways you find your companies and are the venture incubator open to anyone? Mm-hmm. So first, we only can do it with an Israeli company um, because through our partnership with the government, and I really haven't explained the value they bring to us, but they put in a lot of financial resources. So they do that because they want to create jobs and innovation in Israel. So, but the technology, we could license it from anywhere in the world and have partners outside of Israel, but the actual company needs to be based in Israel as it starts up. You know, later as it grows, it's certainly commercialized. They're going to expand outside of Israel. Um, and we work, like I said, with academic centers um, in, in Israel and outside of Israel. Uh, we work, there's a lot of accelerators um, in Israel. As an example, Google, Microsoft, Intel. Um, they have uh, tremendous resources they put into Israel to develop new technology. So we, we will go to different meetings to learn who's in the accelerator. And when they graduate the accelerator, if someone fits our needs, you know, we'll approach them or they'll approach us. And, and so a lot of our companies have come from there. Um, another interesting thing we do is with our partner, Maccabi, um, we run an accelerator program for doctors that have an idea that really don't know what to do with it. And we actually run as a, an accelerator is different than an incubator. Accelerator is for a much shorter duration. And, and the goal of an accelerator is take an idea and develop a business plan. And, and, and then an incubator picks up from there. You know, once you know and you validate what it is, that then it's the road to commercialization. So we try to link, you know, accelerators to, to our uh, incubator. Another neat thing in Israel, it's two degrees of separation. So everybody knows everybody and they're well connected. And, we, and um, to end this, set, this uh, question, we, we've looked at over 1400 companies um, during our life and, uh, you know, We'll end this year with uh, probably, we have 14 now, we're four additional companies. We're actively in the later phases of our due diligence. So we're, you know, we should get two or three more this year uh, out of 1400 we've looked at. Wow. And you've been, uh, eHealth Ventures has been around for three or four years. Is that correct? Four. 
just over four years. Four years. Wow, that's yeah, that's, that we uh, formally open. Yeah, quite a lot of opportunities that you've uh, taken a look at. Yeah. So this fourteen must be very strong. So what's the typical makeup of the venture entrepreneurs that you have? Do they run from the early research stages, and are some of them already funded companies? So the companies that come in, um, they generally were the first money going in. Uh, generally, uh, other than you know, there may be some friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, the entrepreneurs, it's very interesting. I thought about this question, and we have some in their twenties, but most of them are, are uh, in their forties. Uh, we even have a few in their sixties. You know, age-wise, so age doesn't matter. Uh, you know, and what their background is, some come from academia, others have had companies that failed, succeeded. And in Israel, many, many people start companies and more fail than succeed, uh, but hopefully they learn from it. Uh, What's interesting, everybody's in the IDF, the uh, Israeli Defense Forces, and it's quite an educational program uh, the most important things they learn are teamwork, to work as a team, to trust each other. And, you, and a lot of them will form companies after they leave the IDF and, and do th- work together. So they know, couldn't know more about each other. Uh, they think out of the box. They have uh, plan A, plan B, if things don't work out. Uh, we even have a few pilots uh, in our incubator. Um, and while they're in the IDF, the majority of people there actually work and develop technology. Uh, so it's, it's strongly technology driven. And obviously in any military, they're mission driven, fully committed. And all of these are great attributes to have in a successful entrepreneur. So, you know, we look for these high driven um, people that uh, have the ability to execute. Can you uh, tell the listeners some examples of unique e-health ventures programs under development, which are considered industry hot topics or new technology application and growth areas for the digital health market that you're looking to satisfy? Oh, I, I love to. So we look at digital therapeutics, digital diagnostics, and how to, you know, at-home services as the baby boomers, you know, more and more uh, just like I was talking about the analogy between cellular and healthcare, uh, people want to do it at home and, and not go out. So a lot of our companies have that focus. So I'll give you a couple examples. So the first one is uh, Dermadetect. So their focus is getting a fast and clear diagnosis of a skin lesion. And if someone has some skin lesion, something's bothering them and they need to see a dermatologist, it could take months to get an appointment for a dermatologist. And so this solves that problem. We have uh, an AI-driven app um, that is for the dermatologist that they can analyze uh, what the skin lesion is. They have probably tens of thousands of images in conjunction using AI to, to dig deep into what is, you know, to help it, help the AI identify what it is. For example, um, is it, how long have you had it? Is it in other parts of your body? 
Um, you know, is it raised? Um, so, it, but it'll ask intelligent questions based on uh, what it's looking at. And it can diagnose very rapidly uh, what it is. So they connect asynchronously to the, uh, to the dermatologist. So if the dermatologist has a little break or he can set an hour a day and he can look at what's coming in and the system actually suggests what, what the problem is. And 74% of the time with the dermatologist, uh, he takes the recommendation um, of the technology and can get right back to the uh, client and charge for that services. And it just takes some minutes. Uh, occasionally they may have to come in and it'll, it'll, you know, if it feels they need an emergency or something, the, the technology will, uh, will, will identify it. So as we dug into this with some of our partners, we found a whole new market for them. And that's in the pharma industry. So you can get a very bad reaction to certain drugs that potentially could be life-threatening. So we can use this technology and white label it to a pharma. So when you get one of these um, uh, prescriptions, uh, they'll give you that app or a link to that app. And if you get a certain type of uh, condition, the app will identify it and, and hopefully uh, you know, prevent uh, what could be a bad situation. That's a great pivot you know, using applications for different verticals and different industries. It's awesome. So, so, so uh, you want to do a few others? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. So another one is uh, TikTok. Uh, they, they work in speech therapy in the digital age. There are 4 million U.S. children that have problems with their speech, and they go to SLPs, um, the speech therapists, and there's just not enough SLPs. And the SLPs, Many of them are small work out of their homes. So they developed a customized application uh, for this particular industry. So when an SLP has a child come in, it diagnoses what the problem is. They go to the software, they set it up for that specific child and what their specific issues are. Um, it's a very simple process to go through. And when the child uh, goes home, or you can do the call virtually, it provides games for the child. So the child has multiple games, which really focuses on what, what work they need uh, to improve their speech. And it listens to them. It can you know, come up in a fun way to correct them. And it provides a strong backroom diagnostics to the SLP. And you know, that way the child um, can have fun uh, it it increase it makes the uh, learning process a lot faster and more fun. The parent gets real time feedback, and it's uh, potential additional revenue for the SLP because they can really handle more uh, patients uh, utilizing the software. And uh, so we're actually in um, you know in the U.S. now. We have offices in Cleveland and Maryland. Uh, it's called TikTok. And it, it's not, it's a B to B to C. It's not directly to a consumer. It goes directly through the SLP. And that's TikTok, not TikTok, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's, it's funny when you believe me, I thought of that too. Yeah. Um, and another one is Olive Diagnostics. So what they solve is an early disease detection and chronic disease management. So more and more, people are looking to do diagnostics at home. 
So this is a device that fits under your toilet seat. And as you urinate, it uses optic advanced technology uh, with the internet of things that it'll analyze the urine on the fly. So passively, fascinating. as you yeah. pee, it is able to identify biomarkers. And generally in the urine, unlike the blood, it can identify problems before you have symptoms. And it's really a true window into the human body. So it provides continuous historic data. You can monitor loved ones yourself. It provides a strong bench benchmark. And, um, you know, we have a, a lot of interest um, from a major Japanese and U.S. Uh, toilet manufacturers. That's interesting. It's quite a uh, preventative type of application and it's passive because yeah. something and, and, everybody and, does every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're, we're at Maccabi Healthcare, you know, we're out in the clinics, you know, doing it. When someone comes in to get a urine test, they'll do the gold standard and they'll do this and, and we compare them and, you know, and the this results have been outstanding. That's very cool. Very cool. And, and the last one I'll mention I mean, I could go on and on. Sure, um, sure. It's uh, a company called EFA, and they have a diagnostic tool called RevDex, which is a handheld portable blood diagnostic. Um, so as you probably know, the complete blood count, the CBC, uh, there's like 4 billion tests done annually. And you have to go to a, to a clinic, to a doctor, they take the blood test and then it will take a couple of days to get the results. So they offer a, a portable device that can be at a clinic, uh, at a doctor's office, and eventually in your home. Um, it's very affordable. It'll be from five to $30 a test. It's very easy to use. Um, and it uses advanced, it has a built-in microscope and, and, and the chemistry system. And we've had a lot of success with it. And again, what we're able to do in Israel, when someone comes in for a blood test, they do the gold standard blood test. They do the blood stead test with this device. And we'd look at the, compare the results. And it's outstanding, you know, the correlation. So, uh, you know, we're really excited. And, and we feel out of, out of these four, we may get at least one unicorn. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Those are really interesting projects. Thanks for sharing them. So I'm sure a lot of startup entrepreneurs, emerging companies are listening to this and they're interested in, in reaching out to you with regards to digital health applications. So maybe you can describe what type of groups or companies do you consider for partnership and how would you recommend the listeners relative to those groups get started on their path to communicate with you and be part of eHealth Ventures? Well, hopefully, as you've gathered through our conversation, our, our number one priority is add value to our portfolio companies. Mm -hmm. How can we help that? How can we identify the problems? How can we uh, help the company to build it? And how can we commercialize it? Uh, also, fundraising is always a big part. Oh, yeah. Spend a lot of time raising money for the fund and for these companies. So, I mean, those are the areas. So, so as I mentioned, we work with a lot of healthcare companies, um, which is very important. And then uh, 
we, we work with farmers. Um, we look for any type of strategic investor, um, you know, that can, uh, you know, money is money, but if someone's invested, it's always great if they can add, you know, help the companies and help us along our way. Also, it could be distributors, um, you know, f- to help the companies to, uh, to reach the market. So, uh, you know, th- th- those are s- some areas and anybody can, uh, you know, that thinks they have something or whatever, they can certainly reach out to me and we can provide my email address to them. Absolutely. What is the deal structure and investment thesis for Eat Health Ventures? And what do startups receive when becoming an eHealth Ventures company? So very good question. And I talked a little about our thesis. We're looking at digital diagnostics, digital therapeutics, uh, anything at home that can help diagnose and to, uh, to cure people, um, you know, using the internet of things. And one of the unique things I talked a little about Israel, I talked about our companies so in the incubator. So what the incubator in Israel does is they provide substantial financial help uh, to our companies. So in all of Israel, there are 19 incubators uh, under the uh, Israel Innovation Authority. And this is all through the country in all sectors, in water, in agriculture, in cyber, many things that Israel is known for. And we were the first pure digital health incubator. So once, once we approve a company, we go to the uh, Israel government and they put together a team of people to go through their due diligence, which is always good to get two independent eyes looking at it. And once it's approved, um, they, they will enter our incubator for two years. Um, they will get $860,000 US dollars during that two years. 730,000 comes from the Israel government for non-equity. So they put in 85% of the funding to the Israeli company um, for non-equity. And and we uh, benefit from their equity portion. So our LPs get highly leveraged investment for that. And uh, we average 30 to 40% equity in each of our companies. Uh, we want the entrepreneur to have the majority stake. Um, and there's some services the company will pay for uh, out of the 860,000 that they get. We also uh, certainly are open to add-on investments. We have some other LPs that really like our deal flow, like what we're doing, and, and they occasionally will, will put in additional money with ours. Once the company graduates, we know them pretty well after two years, so we may make further investments in their next round, but we're very limited right now in how much we can do the follow-up investments. So we are creating a second fund now that will have the necessary funds for once we see a potential unicorn or a company that you know has the ability in the market to really grow, uh, we'll be able to... Uh, um, put, put in substantially more funding and, and we can do a lot more deals with our second fund. And we hope to close that uh, this year. We already have 25 million in commitments from LPs, but then again, the government of Israel will also uh, put, put in substantial funding. So that, that's a little about our program. 
Excellent. So how long do programs run? Well, the company goes in for two years under normal circumstance. We've had a couple that had certain circumstances that we've extended it a little, so they were able to continue to get funding. And the money is not all paid up at front. You know, they have milestones they have to hit, um, you know, during the two years. Okay. So what advice would you like to share with early entrepreneurial groups on how to best position themselves to be seriously considered for acceptance when applying to e-health ventures? Sure. Well, the first is to understand the problem you're solving. And, you know, again, that's the key is, is there, who, who are you solving it for? How are you going to get paid? Um, what is your ecosystem? Uh, which markets? What's the competition? What is unique about your offering? Um, and how can you grow it? Is it scalable? So one interesting thing, even though I started in electronic health records, we would not invest in a company in electronic health records. And the reason is it's geographically limited. You know, there's, there's, it'll work in the U.S., uh, but it won't work outside the U.S., you know, what, what you need in electronic health records. They're all unique. So there's different companies that provide the service at different parts of the world. And even in the U.S., it's a, it's a very difficult business because of the regulation is, is by state. You know, it's not global. So we look for global solutions. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, Steve, thanks for sharing your thoughts, your experience with myself and the Mini Innovation Vault podcast listeners. And I really appreciate all the time and the perspective that you've given us. So with the minute we have left, if a digital health company wanted to be considered for your group, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or your team? Sure. Well, you can just email me at shapiro at ehealthventures.com. And I'd be glad to follow up. Uh, always good to connect. No, no harm in it. And uh, again, if any MIDI Innovation Vault podcast listeners have any questions about this episode, you can email us directly at innovation at midipd.com and we'll reach back out to you. So with our last seconds left, what golden nugget of wisdom would you like to pass on to entrepreneurial startups during their early stages of research, planning, and growth? Sure. Very simple. Don't fall in love with the, with the solution fall in love with the problem because your solution is going to change as you learn more and more about the markets. And that's excellent advice. And with that said, I want to thank our guest, Steve Shapiro from eHealth Ventures for joining us on the podcast today. And again, thank you for sharing your experience, your expertise, and your knowledge. Just a reminder to our MIDI Innovation Vault podcast listeners to please tune in to the next podcast, episode eight of this series. In episode eight, I will have as my guest, Texas Medical Center's Director of Innovation, as well as the prior head of Houston's JLab, Tom Luby. Tom and I will discuss methods and resources as applied to supporting, mentoring, de-risking, and validating TMC's entrepreneurial members' technologies, shaping the future of healthcare by uniting promising innovators all from the largest medical center in the world. We'll catch you next time.
You have been listening to Episode 7 of MIDI's Innovation Vault series on the deep dive into medical and scientific accelerators, incubator labs, and development communities with host and principal of MIDI Medical Product Development, Gregory Montalbano. If you have any questions or comments on today's podcast or would like to schedule a complimentary consultation with Greg about your business, you can reach him by phone at one 631 467-8686 or email at innovation at midipd.com. If you enjoyed this podcast content, please follow MIDI on social media or if you'd like to download informative industry-related white papers and supporting material, please visit MIDI's website www.midipd.com. 